Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And... uh, we're going to look at Amos. We're in Amos 4 now. We've got uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 under our belts. And uh, if you join the network, uh, we'll tell you where you can hear those audios. These uh, series that we're going through on the prophets, starting with the minor prophets, uh, what they call the minor prophets. I don't know why anyone was called a minor prophet. Uh, just somebody arbitrarily decided we don't need to listen to them as much as we listen to these other ones that are maybe sometimes simply more long-winded. But uh, the reality is is that uh, all prophets uh, that are of God have a certain value in what they say, but it really has very little value to anybody who doesn't also have that divine revelation within their heart and within their minds. Because you're not going to understand uh, the greater prophets or the minor prophets or any prophets. You're not even going to understand Christ without the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we need to be seeking is that Holy Spirit which comes by seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And uh, not simply because we thought a thought. I was reading this morning a... Uh, a uh, dissertation on um, the keys of the kingdom written by somebody else uh, and of course the question is who's got the keys who was given the keys what are the keys and of course we've explained that when Jesus said he was going to give the keys of the kingdom to Peter which he also gave to the other apostles later on he was also giving them to us as they wrote this down this reiterating the story And the keys to the kingdom is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. That is the keys. And what you loose on earth is loose in heaven. So how do you bind and loose? Well, one way you bind is by making covenants with them, which would be a violation of the Ten Commandments. And of course, now how would that, making covenants with their gods, you know, their ruling judges, where would that fall under the two greatest commandments under which all the commandments hinge and of course that would probably be both of them because of the fact that if you love God the character of God the name of God the way of God all those things are really the same things just different ways of saying it and you love your neighbor as yourself what are you making covenants with the God's many of the world what, what, why are you making these covenants? For what purpose? Is it is it to consent with them so that you can make gain? Because if you're going to spread a net before your neighbor, you yourself will be entangled in that net. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. We know that. And we know that if you covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of those God's many who exercise authority, you will go into bondage as well. Just like Israel went into bondage because they coveted their brother's position given to them by their father. 
and they were jealous and envious. And they cast him into bondage and they themselves went into bondage because they thought it was okay to put him into bondage. So if you think it's okay to take and put your brother into bondage so that you may have social welfare, free education, uh, fire department, uh, police force, and social security, then you're going to go into bondage as well. That's, that's just built into the system. That is the way it works. And this is what all the prophets are telling you. And Amos is no exception. He's a little bit more poetic than some of the others. <laughs> but he's telling you the same thing as we've gone over. So what's happened today, and we just were listening on the news talking about, you know, equality acts and things like this, which is supposedly infringing upon the church and infringing upon religion. But what is religion? Religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man and your duty according to God for your fellow man is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And the pious performance of that love means to care for him, to to provide welfare for your neighbor. But it has to be welfare provided in a way that strengthens the poor because Sodom and probably Gomorrah as well, they had a system of welfare. That's how they got people to live in their city. But their city became a net. It became a snare. Where the people belonged to the government. That The people were human resources of the government. They had to labor every year, and a portion of their labor belonged to the government. That's the bondage of Egypt. God does not want you in the bondage of Egypt. That people seem to be bound and determined to be in systems where they do not own their labor. They do not have the right to make a choice as to what is good and evil. Somebody else has that right. And all these churches that are complaining about equality acts and freedom of religion are not practicing the religion according to the doctrines of Jesus Christ or the doctrines of Amos or the doctrines of the prophets. Because they do not take care of the widows and orphans of their society through pure religion. Almost every one of these religions, most of the people who congregate in their churches are pro- provided a daily ministration through the governments of the world. They are, their, their welfare 90% of their welfare is coming from men who exercise authority one over the other. Despite the fact that Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. Now, if you really want to hear the gospel of the kingdom, and you really want to have an ability to have the keys to the kingdom, which is to bind and loose, and to loose and bind. You've already done a lot of binding, so mostly it's loosening that you have to do. But you also, the best way to loosen yourself from the world is to bind yourself to Christ. That's what belief is supposed to be doing. If you really believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, then why aren't you doing what he says? Because... The Bible tells you that if you really love him, you will do what he says. But the modern churches I was going to, and I, I, I put a footnote in our Keys of the Kingdom page, 
in the talk section, uh, the discussion section, that uh, I had come across a dissertation by somebody, I won't say who, explaining why Peter got the keys to the kingdom and why the Pope has the authority that he has. To, to do what with it, I don't know, because he's not supposed to exercise authority one over the other, so I'm not sure what he's doing with the keys, according to this guy. But I was going through the way in which he rationalized this all out, and there were just so many times where he would take just a single verse and nudge it a little bit away from what its real meaning was. And then he would, you know, he would, he talked about the coming kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not coming. It's right here. It's not for when you die, but it's for the living. He said he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees who evidently had it at that time. They sat in the seat of Moses, according to what he said. So the kingdom of God was there at the time, but they were doing something wrong. They were doing something that were making the word of God to none effect. That same thing was also weakening the poor, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Just like you guys today. Most of these churches today who are playing church, but are not the real church established by Christ. Now, who was the real church established by Christ? Ask Christ. What's his opinion of what the church is to look like? What is it to be? What is it to do? The real church has to stand up and can will only be able to stand up by the grace of God. But the church is the called out. It's the ministers. That's that's one of the prime obvious things when you read the text in the Greek is that every place you see this word church, they're translating the word ecclesia. And I, I see the same people that, you know, write this thing that I put in that talk section of the keys of the kingdom. There were, they'll take a word like ecclesia and they say it means assembly. It doesn't mean assembly. You'll read our article on ecclesia. We show you all the words that could be translated into assembly. But ecclesia really isn't one of them. Uh, an ecclesia might be an assembly, but it's the called out assembly. It's the assembly called out like the Levites were called out. That's why they refer to the Levites as the church in the wilderness. Because they were the called out in the wilderness. The apostles were called out. The 70 were called out. That was another thing in his little article. He said, well, there's the apostles and there's Jesus. Well, wait a minute. What? Who's the 70? Weren't, weren't they, didn't they play a role somewhere in there? He doesn't even know that the 70 that Jesus appointed was the 70 or the Sanhedrin of Jesus. Moses appointed the original Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin at that time was not doing what Moses said. They were making the word of God to none effect. They had become a legislature exercising authority one over the other. They weren't titular anymore. Judea wasn't the Republic of Christ. Just like you're not the Republic today. In in America today, they still call themselves a Republic, but they're actually a democracy within a Republic. They state that. I'm quoting them. And whereas you were not a party to the Constitution originally in all the Supreme Court rulings, you are now a party to the Constitution. Because you've 
consented. You sat down to eat at the table of the government of the world. The governments of the world, whether you're in the United States or Australia or wherever. You're eating at the table and that makes you a party. Well, how do they set the table? They take from your neighbor. You see, that's why it also said, just like I said, as you judge, so shall you be judged. As you bite one another, you may be devoured. So if you're going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you have to stop biting one another. You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded and set the table of the Lord. Stop playing church. Start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start practicing pure religion instead of impure religion, which all these churches, I'm not going to say 100% all the churches, but generally speaking, all the churches practice impure religion because 90% of the welfare in their congregations is provided by men who exercise authority one over the other in their systems of government. They take by force from their neighbor so that they can have more stuff, so that they can gain security. That is not a Christian thing to do. But they pay men lots of money to tell them that they're still Christians even though they covet their neighbor's goods. Even though Peter said through covetous practices you would be made merchandise. That you would even curse your children with debt. They were just talking on the news before we started the program about the stimulus checks and where they're spending their money on beauty and health aids now and restaurants rather than whatever they were spending it on before, which I actually missed because I was too busy in here getting ready for the show. But the reality is is that the stimulus check is a bite out of your neighbor and a bite out of your neighbor's children because somebody's supposed to pay that back. You know, you've gone, you're going and have been going away from the kingdom and your pastors are not telling you the truth. They may not know it. They may be just in need of repentance, but they are misleading you, which is as good a time as any to begin Amos 4 because that's one of the first things that he starts talking about. And so in verse 1 we see, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. Their masters, give us a stimulus check. And let us drink. <laughs> That's uh, so. I, I just jumped a couple thousand years there, but we're God knows when. But we're doing it again. That's that's what we're doing. History is repeating itself. You study history not to know the past. You study history to know the future. And we keep making the same mistakes all the time. Now. I just read you that uh, that first verse from the King James. But we could also read it in the New International Version. Hear this word. You cows of Bashan. Not kind, but cows of Bashan. On Mount Samaria. 
ye women who oppress the poor, and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. So, I thought that was a little bit interesting. I mean, they took kind Most people wouldn't know what the old English was. It's not really a cow. It's more of a heifer. Bashan, we'll look at that word. That shows up mostly in Deuteronomy. Referring to the king of Bashan. And Mount Samaria. Again, Amos is a poet. And he's telling us how things work. In a very poetic fashion. So all these things. The women, the husband, bring us some drink. These are all symbols. As well as the heifer and the of Bashan. Now, you know, I tell people, people are always asking me, what Bible should I use? I said, well, you can use almost any of them. And I usually follow that with, well, maybe not the Living Bible. <laughs> but... Uh, Here's the the New Living Translation. It says the same verse. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. So that's, uh, that's a little bit different way of approaching it. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can kind of see the meaning in what he's saying. Although, the tone certainly changes in my opinion. Of course, I'm adding tone as I read it, but, I mean, that's what it sounded like to me. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. So, why is he talking to people just in Samaria? And, why is it all the women's fault? Again. (laughs) Like, Like in the garden. It's not my fault, God. It's the woman you gave me. And what what is the woman in biblical prophecy? If we're going to go, because remember this is poetry, so these are symbols. So what is the woman in biblical prophecy? Of course, there's a woman more precious than a ruby, according to Proverbs. But there's also women who are temptresses, who uh, seduce us away from the ways of righteousness. So what what does a woman represent? In society, I mean, before the feminist movement, <laughs> woman was the caregiver of society. So they're talking about a woman in society, something that is representing a woman of society, of the nation, who oppress the poor and crush the needy. And we could look at those words poor and crush and see see how... Um, Amos was handling those particular words because Amos adds a lot of letters to words on a pretty regular basis. And husband, what what is a husband? That's the authority in a family. Well, what's who's the husband in uh, in a nation? I mean, Jesus talks about call no man on earth father. And what what is he talking about? Well, see, the husband is also a father to the children. I mean, we see this even when Lewis and Clark are are out there talking to the Indians. They talk about the great white father back there, which they're talking about the government of the United States being the great white father. When Jesus said, call no man on earth father, 
used a particular word in the Greek text, we see the word patri. Well, that's also, you know, a Latin word. And uh, because the Latins took a lot of words from the Greek, but patri means father. The emperor of Rome was called the Patronus, meaning our father. So, he's standing there talking to a bunch of people in the Roman Empire saying, call no man father. He's talking about the emperor. Don't make government your sugar daddy. Don't make the government your father. And of course, when he commands the people to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, that's the first step to making your natural fathers your actual father on earth. I've seen theologians actually arguing that we should not call our our dad father. Because he says to call no man on earth father. Now, usually the Catholic Church just stays away from it altogether because they call all their priests father. And the Pope, I mean, even the word Pope means father. So, but they have some excuse because I guess he got the keys. But the keys are what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. God, your contracts, your covenants, your agreements, God's going to hold you to them. If you believe it's okay to take a bite out of your neighbor so that you can have more stuff, when you get devoured, God's not going to hear you. He tells you, all the prophets are telling you that. He's not going to hear you. So, when we look at this verse a little closer, and we won't go so long on each individual verse, but uh, if we're looking at Amos 4, the first verse, we see here the word, this, you cows of Bashan. Bashan, if we we go back to uh, this original word, you know, I have here a footnote uh, as to Bashan, being these particular Hebrew letters of Be'it, Shin, Nun. And occasionally you'll see this Be'it, Shin, Nun written with additional letters uh, that have to do with faith. And, But it basically means fruit. And of course, because the Pharisees were not bearing fruit, God took the kingdom away from them. And so we'll see how that plays out when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after just a brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, we're looking at this word Bashan in Amos 4, verse 1. And uh, Bashan has to do with fruitful, fruitfulness. And you can write it a lot of different ways. I mean, you'll see be it, be it, shen, nun, or hey, be it, shen, nun, and uh, and actually you can find the be it shin by itself and we may even look at that before we're done which has to do with this bearing of fruit and of course Christ said that he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees so the kingdom was already there so this, this constant reference to this future kingdom that's going to come sometime other and set everything right unfortunately most people when God does intervene and start When I say intervene, I mean it's written into the system, but when we see the evidence of that intervention, the the, uh, cause and effect, the cause is in this moment, but the effect may be in the next moment. And so 
when we see the effect coming of the kingdom that we have created for ourselves, which is either we have conformed to Christ or we have failed to conform to Christ and conform to the world, in which case we will go according to the fate of the world because that's what we conform to. We went down that road. That's a wide road. It's a road to destruction. And if you go down that road, the cause and effect takes place. When that effect comes, you say, well, that's the, the kingdom coming. But the beginning of its coming was in your choice. When Adam made the choice to decide for himself what was good and evil and no longer listen to the Holy Spirit of God, walk with God, and he became aware of it, he hid himself and tried to blame it on the woman. And of course, that's what the living translation of the Bible seemed to be trying to do. It's, it's this fat woman's fault that they're having this problem. No, it's actually the people who look to the caregiver of society, this heifer of fruitfulness, they want their masters to bring them more benefits, more drink, bigger stimulus checks. At whose expense? At their neighbor's expense. They want to take a bigger bite out of their neighbor so they can go and to restaurants and buy beauty aids. Beauty and health aids, they said in the news. That does not bring fruit. That brings uh, fruit uh, in need of repentance. And that's what that's what the Pharisees were doing at that time because they had instituted a system of welfare through the temple set up by Herod and the Pharisees. The Pharisees that were in power at that time. There are people going around calling themselves Pharisees today. They may or may not be doing that. When we're talking about the Pharisees at the time of Christ, we're talking about those guys. We're not talking about some other political um, group or religious group. We're talking about those guys at that time had said, because all Pharisees did not agree. We knew there were there were people, Pharisees, that actually followed Christ. Most of the followers of Christ probably came from groups like the Essenes. But some of them probably didn't follow Christ. You don't you don't follow Christ because you joined this church or this denomination. You follow Christ because you're actually following Christ. And the church that is actually doing what Christ said, that's the church established by Jesus Christ. If your church is not doing what Jesus Christ said, it's probably established by somebody else. There was a big movement uh, back, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, the unregistered church movement. And I saw all kinds of churches. I went to meetings uh, with the different people who, you know, wrote books, you know, like the one with the uh, duct tape over the mouth of the preacher because they were saying, the reason you're getting... So you can't say what you're, you think Christ wants you to say. And the reason that you're being stifled in the pulpit is because you went and incorporated to the state. And yeah, that's kind of true. Uh, in a legal, technical sort of way. That's kind of true. But the reason that you went that way is because you already weren't preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know, the, the church legally, 
legislature does not define what a church is. They actually avoid giving the definition of the church because in defi- the only one who can really define the church is Jesus Christ. But there is a legal definition of a church and you can find it in Black's Law Dictionary. Now how it got there and all that, that's another whole mystery and we won't go into you know, who was behind putting this definition in. And there's a lot of reasons it's there. But I, I know it's been tweaked over the years by different organizations. But I actually believe that it is pretty accurate as a definition. So I I show it. and We have an article on the legal definition of the church. And we include it there. And you can find this in Black's 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th edition. All the way up to the ninth edition. They started adding a little bit more along the way. You know, kind of at the end of the definition. Because they start saying a church can actually be a building. And of course that's true. The way the term is used today it could be a building. But when they're talking church as an institution. It says in its most general sense. The religious society founded and established by Jesus Christ. To receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines and ordinances. Now that would be the ordinances of Christ. It would not be the ordinances of the church. The church is not to exercise authority one over the other. So they can't go around making ordinances for the people to have to follow. So despite whether you think they have the keys or not. They can't be telling you. They're only supposed to be receiving, preserving, and propagating the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Not new doctrines or other doctrines or change doctrines or, you know, become the 21st century church instead of the 1st century church. The 1st century church and the 21st century church, unless Jesus comes and changes the doctrines, should be the same doctrines. But that definition is referring to its most general sense of the term. But then they say in the second paragraph, a body or community of Christians. So there's two things there. It can be a body, which the word, if you were to go into the Latin, would be corpus, which is where we get corporation. It's established by Jesus Christ. We already established that. So... If it's a corporation, it's incorporated already as the corporation of Christ. It is the body of Christ. But it says also, or a community. So the word church can refer to the whole community. So you could have the body of Christ, which, of course, we have to remember, go back to the original word church. As we see in the biblical text, they're not referring to the congregations of the people. They're not talking about all the people. They're talking about those they called out. And Jesus called out the 70. He called out the 12 apostles. And evidently, I would even include the 120 in the upper room as that called out. Because he said that called out would receive his Holy Spirit. And we know they received that Holy Spirit. Now, many people have received that since. So now the question is, who's the called out today? And what are they called out of? And how how would you recognize them today? Because most of the ministers and pastors and people out there, they're not called out of anything. 
they're very much a part of the world. As a matter of fact, 90% of their free bread comes from men who exercise authority, even though Jesus said it's not to be that way with us. So the problem goes way deeper than some sort of constitutional amendment. But anyway, going back to this called out body or community of Christians. What's a Christian? Followers of Christ, followers of the way. And the way is to live by faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty. Not making covenants with other men to get benefits at your neighbor's expense. But actually a community that actually cares about its neighbors as much as it cares about itself. So a body or community of Christians. So you have this body called out to be separate. But it's to do what? To serve the people. Not to exercise authority one over the other. Not to tell them what to believe and can't believe. But to actually provide real service. Not just to sing or make people feel good or tickle their ears. But actually create a daily ministration run by faith, hope, and charity. So that nobody has to go to the men who exercise authority if they fall on hard times. Because pure religion is caring for the needy of your society unspotted by that world. Not depending on that world that exercises authority. And then eventually gets to the point where they can decide what is good and evil for you. Do you know anybody who can decide what is good and evil today? Well, the Supreme Court can say it's okay to abort your child. Now it's okay to abort your child. Because they have decided that that's good. They can decide that it's okay to abort your child in the second or third trimester. It's okay to do partial birth abortions. It's okay to, in some of these courts, these men who decide good and evil, say that it's still okay, it's still good, if you give birth to the child but decide you don't want it, you can leave it sit there till it dies. And they say that's still good. That's not bad. That's, that's still okay. It's because they have the power to decide what is good and evil for you. But you had the power to decide whether or not you wanted to eat at their table. Because their table is a snare. Paul says this. Quoting David from the Old Testament. And Amos is telling us the same thing. So this body of called out. Serving a community of people who want to do things according to the ways of Christ. Are united under one form of government. That's what it says in the definition. So the church is a government. It's the government of God. And we know how it operates because Christ told us that it operates by love, by charity, not by force. That's what John the Baptist, until John the Baptist, everybody was starting to go the way of force. All these churches today complaining about the government of the world exercising a force over their churches have been letting their people go take a bite out of one another through the same exercising authority of one over the other. Despite the fact that Christ said to his church, it is not to be that way. So they're not a community of followers of Christ. They're communities of followers of FDR and LBJ and Cloward and Piven and all these other people that say it's okay to take a bite out of your neighbor. 
if you want a stimulus check, if you want more stuff, if you want welfare, if you want health care, if you want free education. You see how much we're in need of repentance? These churches aren't real churches. They're, most of them are institutions of the state. Now, actually, this week I, I read the Patriot Act, and I also put together probably, what is it, about 34 pages on how the church should be functioning in the world, but not of the world. And I would love to share it with everybody, but just like Jesus wanted to share everything with everybody else, but he was not going to do that. He shared things with the apostles he did not share with other people. He just talked to them in parables. Now, I'm I'm anxious to share this with other people, but I'm not going to share it with other people the same because this is what Christ commanded until the people are willing to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that, that you have to get together with, you know, I don't know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten other families. And pick a minister of your choice and start doing things the way Christ commanded. And then I will share with your minister and he can share according to you uh, and the leading of the Holy Spirit in himself. But if you're not going to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, there ain't going to be no loaves and fishes for you. We're not going to share with you the mysteries of the kingdom. Which, you know, anybody who sees the books, now much of this is already written in the books that we've already provided free online. You can order them from us. So we had uh, people ordering all the books this week from different parts of the country. But they're all free online. We're not keeping this a secret from you. But if you want to have the, this, the, the guidance down the way, you have to start walking the way. Because we're not leaving the path to show you the way. We're showing you the way by walking that path. So if you want to know the whole way and how that relates to today and, and how it relates to the governments of the world, which have every right to exist, and they have every right to share their free bread with other people that have signed up for that way. But, in this cause and effect universe, there will be consequences, just like there were consequences for Sodom and Gomorrah. Just like there were consequences for Egypt. And consequences for Rome. The decline and fall of the Roman Empire. If you go read uh, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ and other historians like uh, uh, Gibbons, was clearly the result of a breakdown of the moral character of the family, which seems to be a goal of a number of large movements in America today and around the world, and because of covetous practices, which historians have told you for centuries, even before Christ, uh, almost a century and a half before Christ, almost two centuries before Christ was preaching, Polybius said that this, these covetous practices, because the people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, through basically a social estate, the people themselves will degenerate 
into perfect savages. They will be rioting in the streets. They will be so weakened that they will, you know, they will not even know how to be free. They will have lost the skills of freedom, just like the Israelites lost the skills of freedom living in Egypt, in the bondage of Egypt. So they had to relearn them during the plagues and the destruction that was coming upon Egypt. And they learned them enough so that they could set out in the wilderness, but they still had more to learn even in the wilderness. So it was another 40 years before they could enter the promised land, which is not a location of the foot as much as it is the location of the heart. But we're going to clip along here so we get all the way through. So anyway, this one form of government that professes this one faith, which is to live by charity and love rather than force and fear and violence, And the observance of the same rituals and ceremonies, which would be the exercise of that religion, taking care of one another, setting the table of charity and love, and providing for the needy of your society through that faith, hope, and charity. That's that's the exercise of religion. These churches are not doing that. They think the rituals and ceremony is blowing smoke and um, eating crumbs of bread. That is not the rituals and ceremonies of Christ. Those were the symbols. But the rituals and ceremonies, we have an article up on that. What are rituals and ceremonies? It's what you're doing. You know, there's many people say, Lord, Lord, but they're not doing the will of the Father. They're not taking care of one another through love. They're still coveting their neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of men who actually still call themselves the fathers of the earth. So anyway, back to Amos 4 and that Bashan and the, the kind, the, the heifer, that is, the, they had the fruit of their system. Uh, hear this word, ye kind, ye heifers of the fruits of your system that are in the mountains of Samaria. Listening to the mountains of Samaria, we have an article there you can go and and read about Samaria, which are your prophets, which, going back to these, these people who are bearing this fruit, but it's a fruit that oppresses the poor and crushes the needy. It doesn't strengthen them. It makes them poor. It makes them weak. Where those poor are constantly saying, Master, bring us more benefits. More and more benefits. More and more stimulus checks. More and more, you know, pretty soon with runaway inflation, you're going to find your Social Security checks not making it. Your welfare checks not making it. So they're going to say, give us more, give us more. But every time they ask the fathers of the earth for more, they go more into bondage. And they deliver their children more into bondage because they're all doing this by debt, which is, of course, a violation of the Sabbath, which we won't go into right now. So, verse 2, the Lord God hath sworn by his holiness, by his separateness, that, lo, the days shall come upon you. That's the judgment, the cause and effect. That he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. 
And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her. And ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal. Multiply transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. Now you remember the those sacrifices that were going to the Levites who were gaining the reins of control, not the kidneys, but the reins of control. Go read our article on the sacrifice and sophistry, which you'll find on the page in footnotes. That uh, that was to take care of the needy of their society. That's how the, the welfare system that Abraham set up with his altars of clay and stone and the welfare system set up by Moses with his altars and the welfare system that Jesus set up with the living stones of his called out group was a welfare system that operated by faith, hope, and charity. If you walk away from that way of taking care of the needy of your society and pure religion and go after public religion to take care of the needy of your society through the forced offerings, forced sacrifices, the corbin of the Pharisees, you will make the word of God to none effect and you will be swept away Towards destruction. The mountains of Samaria. This is the mountains. The men who are to be your watchmen. Do you think you will get this message. From the the uh, newsmen on CNN. That I am sharing with you today. Do you think you will get this message. From M- in, uh, whatever, in <laughs> NBC. You will not. The problem really is, is you're not even getting this message in your churches. They're telling you that you can save yourself with a thought. You just say you believe in Jesus. You don't have to do anything he said to do. You don't have to follow his commandments. You just have to say that you believe in Jesus and you're automatically saved. Even though Jesus said it's not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. Now, Jesus is not going to say that you're earning salvation where the Father now owes you. Of course, you're still saved by grace in either explanation. But if you have the evidence, according to James, if you're not doing the will of the Father, if you're not keeping the commandments, according to John, you don't really believe in Jesus. Because if you really believed him, you would love him. If you loved him, you would love his commandments and you would be doing what he said. But you're not doing that. You're you're getting your ears tickled by ministers who send you to men who exercise authority and now you're complaining that they exercise authority? You've been devoured because you took bites out of your neighbor. Repent. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're looking at some of these words that uh, we see in in the text. And 
And for instance, the, the, this word cows or klein that we see here, uh, normally that's just, uh, you know, it's a heifer or a cow, uh, and it's gimel, resh, uh, hay is the letters that you find. But, uh, as we were saying that they were talking about these, you know, fat cows in the living Bible, uh, actually name calling, uh, this woman, again, they're not talking about women in general. They're talking about this care provider of society, which becomes this fat cow, which is, uh, you know, in their, the way they approach the translation anyway. And it's actually weakening the poor. It's actually crushing the poor. Now, we, we see this idea of the cow normally that there is really nothing that's saying that it's a fat cow it's talking about this fruitfulness and in this position of cow and this is represented and just to show you how this works in symbolism there was a dream back in uh, Genesis that needed to be interpreted by Joseph of these cows that came up out of the waters of the Nile which of course when the waters of the Nile flooded Crops are good because it brought down silt and the water was used through these aqueduct systems to irrigate large areas and so they produced lots and lots of food. And when the water didn't come, then there was famine. And so the, in the dream, there's these fat cows that come out. They say fine looking and fat of flesh. These are the Hebrew word translations of the, of this. And, uh, we see in this particular verse, instead of just Gimel Resh Hey, we actually see Gimel Resh Vav Tav for the letter, for the word cows. So again, Vav is that connecting or dividing word. And in this case, it appears that the cows are fat because of faith. That the Gimel Resh, not Gimel Resh Hay, but Gimel Resh Vav connected to faith. And so things prosper. I would assume that if you disconnected faith from these cows coming out of the water, then they may come out skinny. And and this is repeated over and over again for the word fine that we see there also ends in vav tav. <laughs> so and uh and the word fat also ends you know normally it's it's uh it's not uh a very big word, you know, it's, there's usually this root word that we see for fat. And uh in this case it's um uh, be it uh, resh uh, yad uh, or be it resh yad elef, and that would be the word for fat. But in in that particular verse, which we're talking about Genesis forty one two, where they're talking about these fat cows coming out of the water, that we're seeing this word fat with avav be it resh yad elef. Again, ending with a tav, this letter for faith. And, uh, and, and even the word for, uh, you know, fat of flesh. The word flesh there is basar, in this case, which is 
Beit Shen Resh. Well, Beit Shen, that was back there in, in Bashan. And so we're connecting these ideas. See, that's the way the language goes. They're connecting these ideas. But they're slipping in this letter Tav here, referring to the fact that they're, they're coming out of the water. So they're, uh, in good condition and, and fat and everything because of faith. So and we're assuming that when the faith is gone, then they come out skinny. And, uh, that's what Moses was eventually trying to restore to the people is that they had to learn to live by faith. They they could not force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare and provide the leeks and onions and the free straw and the free bread of Egypt. They had to learn how to walk together caring about one another, which is one of those commandments. Caring about life and the giver of life, which is God, and caring about one another and putting that into implementation. And of course, that's when they sat down eventually in the tens, hundreds of thousands and started caring for one another, which began before they even left Egypt during the plagues. So, you may be about to uh, enter into a time of plagues, food shortages. There's, there's certainly wood shortages. I was in the store just this week and uh, I saw... Row after row where there was nothing on the shelves. And many of the places where I went in the store, there were large sections of shelves that were empty. That that just made the, be the beginning of society that operates without faith, without the Tav. And it may get worse and worse and worse. And Samaria... You know, which is... You know, it's a historical place in the Bible, but it's also a metaphor... And they tell you this. It's not just a place. But it is a who. As we see in Micah 1, which we've already done. You can go look at those studies. When you're doing Bible studies, you can use these uh, these sections at preparingyou.com with the audios, with the, the side notes, and study Micah. And now you'll soon be able to do this with Amos. But in Micah, they had these... Uh, Samaria in relationship to the transgression of Jacob, which Jacob was trying to get his brother's birthright for his own benefit. And the idolatry of Baal. They're all connected to the, this, these watchmen of Samaria. The, these people that should be showing you and telling you what's what. You can't, you're not even allowed on big tech media to share the truth. It, it is crushed. It is silenced. And so you have to be a little clever how to do it. Well, well, of course, if you weren't so dependent upon the government's network, but had created the network that Moses and Abraham and Christ were creating by t- commanding that the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and care for one another as much as they care for themselves, you would have a network that would be sharing not only information on how to av- avoid death by covid or death by injection, lethal injection, which many people may not be avoiding. And if you get the injection, what do you do then? Well, all that could be shared through a network of love. And God would inspire people to know what the answer is to these problems. But you have to follow the way of Christ and not the way of the Nicolaitan. And so if you go to our link on Samaria, you'll 
you'll see links to articles so that you can find out who the Nicolaitan are and and who the the faithful are, which is not most of the people claiming to be Christians, which Christ prophesied that this would be the case. So in verse 5 we see, And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Were we supposed to have this thanksgiving of leaven? Doesn't leaven somehow destroy things? You know, what does leaven do? It puffs up the bread. Makes it look like there's more bread than there really is. Kind of like inflation. <laughs> so, anyway. And publish the free offerings. So you have to make a record of the free offerings. And they might not be so free. And there's an actual word there in the text. If if you go back and, and you look at Amos um, chapter 4 verse 5. You have this free offering. Which is... If if you look up the word uh, that they have there, which is, uh, you know, it's nada ba, and forgive me my pronunciation, but uh, it's it's basically this uh, noon delet be it again be it has to do with a household and a hay on the end, and that's. Uh, they're they're explaining to you what this free offering is, but that's not the word that you actually see in the text of Amos, where he's talking about the free offering. He has the word nun delet be it, which is the same somewhat, but it's not followed by hey. Again, is followed by vav tav which is this connection of faith, or even a separation of faith. It just depends on what it is. Are you living by uh, thanksgiving that is shared in true free will fashion by love for one another? Are you living by a sacrifice, uh, offering or sacrifice, that is forced from your neighbor. It's not a matter of choice anymore. You've turned your neighbor into a human resource. He is now going to provide for you. One is the way of Christ. One is the way of Moses. One is the way of Abraham. And in truth, one is the way of Enoch. And the other one is the way of unrighteousness. And the rewards of such a practice, such a system of mammon. Mammon is just entrusted wealth. If you're forcing the sacrifices of the people and putting them into a treasury, that is a mammon. If your sacrifices are done by free will offerings and given to a body of men called out for the purposes of Christ, that's a mammon too. But that's a righteous mammon because it's based on free will choice. The unrighteous mammon is based on force. Which is why the Corban of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. 
because they were signing up and they had to pay in. They didn't have any choice anymore. Somebody else, the legislature would determine how much you had to pay in. They were going to decide what was good to pay in and what was not good to pay in. And Jesus is telling his disciples, who are his student ministers, to be appointed a government, one form of government based on love. He's telling them that you go up to the person that should pay in, who you would know because they were already sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and you say, well, according to what I understand, you owe this much. And they say, well, I can't pay that much. Well, how much can you pay? So the minister's asking you how much you can pay. And you say, I can only pay this much. And he's taking you at your word. And he says, pay in full. Now, the governments of the world don't do that. Uh, you don't pay in full? <laughs> they come and take your stuff. They take, you know, destroy your family. They throw you in jail. And they have every right to do that because you have already agreed that they could do that so they could give you benefits. So I guess they can do that to give other people benefits. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. And so they have a right. It's not theft. It's the result of covetous practices. If you want that to change, you have to change. You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring for one another. As if you love them as much as you love yourself. I I can look out in the world and I see a lot of people love themselves. But I can't find a lot of people who love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. I mean, that's just the way it is. So, as we go on in verse 6, And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. Now, cleanness of teeth, that it's a strange translation, but look at when he's talking about, and want of bread. If you're not eating any bread, then your teeth are going to be clean. Because you're not eating anything. You're not putting food in your mouth. So the cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So, in the days ahead, if, you know, during the the first rush for toilet paper and bread, you could go into the stores during this supposed pandemic and you would see shelves that were empty of bread and empty of toilet paper. Like I said, you know, if you're out of bread, you won't need toilet paper. So, that's the reality of it. That that shortness came, but how many people turned to the ways of the Lord during that shortness? It was brief. No, Nobody in America was starving. Now, there are people around the world because of the shutdown that have been starving. But you don't even know about that because the mountains of Samaria, your mountains of Samaria are not telling you about that. You know, I mean, with 3,000, 4,000 people dead, they know dead from the vaccination, according to VAERS reports. And, of course, we know that there's probably way more because VAERS doesn't cover everybody. And you're not allowed to say that in your social media. Because that's your mountains of Samaria. 
Now, we will, in our network, we will tell you that, and we will tell you a lot more. But you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded. You didn't know that Christ commanded that those people wanting to follow Christ, which would be Christians, they weren't called Christians until Antioch, but the followers of Christos, the anointed, Jesus, they were commanded to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands by way of the disciples because Jesus uh, told his disciples to command the people to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Why? So that there could be a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and fealty. You're going to churches that say, yes, there can be a daily ministration based on force, fear, and fealty, and you can still be a Christian. Where Christ said, no, you cannot. (laughs) And the reality is you're saying you're a Christian, but you're not really a Christian. Now that's easily remedied, or somewhat easily remedied, simply by turning around, which is called repentance, thinking a different way and realizing it's the reason we're in this mess is because we are not loving one another. We are taking a bite out of one another. And we need to repent of that. So there were shortages, and you did not return. In verse 7, And also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city, one piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. Now, we actually haven't had hardly any rain, because I live in the desert, so we seldom have rain anyway. Most of our water comes up from the ground through wells, artesian wells and have you. But uh, all the reservoirs in our county are virtually empty. Uh, you can actually go out there to some of the reservoirs that used to be very deep and you will find catfish literally running on the ground. Just can't even submerge themselves in the water. You could run around with a net and pick them up because what used to be a big lake is now a mud puddle. And so that's a drought. That's a, which in this place is a symbol. But we still have water coming up from the ground. And so our fields are still greening up. But should we ask God to give us more water? And if we ask God to give us more water, would he give us more water? Well, I know the answer. Do you know the answer? And what about the answer for you? Verse 8, So two or three cities wandered unto one city. To drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So we're seeing mass migrations of people. It's not quite as bad as everybody thinks it is. Uh, I mean, the migration certainly is causing serious problems, but these people are not migrating because things are so bad in their country. It's just because there's so many giveaways in America. You don't actually need a wall. You need righteousness. You know, I don't mind if your president builds a wall. 
but I know that's not your salvation. The salvation is that is righteousness. So if you had a system based on faith, hope, and charity and the right to choose in the hands of everybody, you would not have the welfare system that makes the word of God to none effect, which is what you have today. Where that you can actually, and I saw this in Australia a couple of years ago that when I was going through the work, uh, you know, how Australia operates their welfare system, I did a couple of programs on that, how it changed the nature of Australians over a period of about 60, 70 years. That if you were a foreigner in the country illegally, you got more benefits than somebody who worked in the country all their life, paid into the system. They got less benefits from the government than an illegal who came into the country, you know, somebody who immigrated into the country or migrated into the country illegally. He got, that illegal migrator got more benefits than somebody who had worked all their life in the system, paying into the system. So that, that is to be expected. I'm just, I just thought that was interesting. So, as I said, that you're going to see this shifting, but you ha- if you've just seen the tip of the iceberg so far. He goes on in verse nine, nine. I have smitten you with blastings and mildew when your gardens and your hub vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increase the palm worm. He says. When they increased, the palm worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So this palm worm, we actually, if you go, we have a study up on Joel. And if you go to Joel, you'll find out, I mean, that that palm worm is actually, a.k.a. a chewing locust. And it's actually kind of a word for locust. And, of course, locusts go through a worm stage. But... Anyway, uh, and, and you can go and study it. Actually, in the footnotes, we have the letters that you see there uh, in in the language and what they mean. It has to do with pluck off and shear and and these other connections that we see. It's the Gimel Zayin. And uh, in that particular case, it's Gimel Zayin Mem. And uh, Mem has to do with flow. So this, what we're... In Joel, you'll see that these locusts are the same thing that you see in the Declaration of Independence. Swarms of offices to eat out our substance. And, of course, that's that's what you're seeing also in... Uh, because they've gone this other way. That is not the way of righteousness. That the swarms of offices are consuming... They, they are getting enough to eat. But the people are not getting enough to eat because the locusts are eating it up and devouring it. So anyway, uh, that's happening. It, but still you haven't returned to the Lord. And way back when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, I think a lot of people were kind of returning to the Lord. Very rugged individualism, depending upon one another. If you had any kind of trouble financially, health-wise or anything, you'd go to church. And the churches were still operating, for the most part, by free will offerings. There were churches a lot more in Europe that depended upon the contributions of the state. But many of the churches in America, they were dependent upon the contributions of the individuals. 
And so it created a different atmosphere. But that's not the case anymore. And even by the uh, the creation of the Constitution of the United States, they were so blinded by the fact that they weren't completely repentant that they wrote the Constitution of the United States leaving out four major biblical principles that God says to put in a constitution if you want to have an executive officer or chief officer or, you know, president or prime minister or king or whatever. You were to write five things down in a constitution to limit their power. And one of those limits was to never return the people to the bondage of Egypt. What's the bondage of Egypt? Where 20% of your labor belonged to the government. Has that happened? Does 20% of the la- year labor belong to the government? Now, at, I'm not saying that that's illegal. I'm just saying that's where you're at. And that that has a cause and effect, and it also creates a cause and effect. It's going back to what Polybius said even before Christ, or Plutarch said after Christ, or what Christ said, or what John the Baptist said, that through covetous, or Peter, through covetous practices, you would become this merchandise. You'd become these human resources. In verse 10, we see Amos going down that same road by, he says, I have sent amongst you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword. And have taken away your horses, and I have made the stink of your camps to come up into your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Ultimately, what I'm telling you here, and he's telling you, is that your only salvation is actually to return to the ways of Christ, the way of the Lord. And you haven't done that. And your pastors aren't doing that. They're, they're shaking their fist at constitutional order and, you know, freedom of religion and everything. But that will have no meaning unless they repent and seek the ways of righteousness. And we'll go on with verse 11 when we return after the break and tie a lot of these things together. So be right back. Well, welcome back. So, in our study of Amos, we've made it all the way to verse 11. And we're going to try to get through this in a half an hour. You think we can do three verses in a half hour? <laughs> so, the reality is we're going in this a lot deeper. And if you go to preparingyou.com, and there's a side panel there. And then there's dozens and dozens of links to other articles to take you through this step-by-step. What's an idol? Why do they talk so much in the Bible about snare? Paul talks about the snare. Your table being the snare. David talks about it. Peter talks about it. All the prophets are talking about it. And that you have to think a different way and live a different way. And that living a different way is evidence that you're actually thinking a different way. Which is what repentance is. There's a lot of people say, I repent and I believe in Jesus, but they're not actually doing what Jesus said. They probably don't really believe in Jesus. They believe in an idea of Jesus, but that's, you know, that's just a a word. You know, that they believe in their image of Jesus in their mind. But the image of Jesus in their mind may not be the real Jesus. It may be a false image, which would make their belief in Jesus idolatry 
And so how do you know if your belief in Jesus is idolatry or if your belief in Jesus is real? Well, John tells you. Peter tells you. Paul tells you. James tells you. You know that your belief in Jesus is not idolatry because you're actually doing what Jesus said to do. It's not a struggle. You're willing to do what Jesus said to do because you love Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That includes, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, especially through men who exercise authority one over the other. You will not take a bite out of one another, but you will love one another. You've been taking a bite out of one another and you think you can do it with impunity. But you live in a cause and effect universe. So God sends his warnings. So all the bad things that are going on in the world today that you think are bad things are going on in the world today because you're not doing what Christ said. Christians aren't real Christians. And the newsmen are not your Samaria. They're not your watchmen. I mean, they are your watchmen, but they're not going to tell you the truth. And your good newsmen are not going to tell you the truth either. They're going to tell you you're saved even though you continually to do contrary to the decrees of Jesus Christ. Peter was doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And he could do contrary to the, the decrees of Caesar because he had another king. So we talk about what was going on in Egypt. They were in this bondage of Egypt. They're actually in the bondage of Egypt again. They've already abandoned the ways of God by wanting to have kings. In both Israel and Judea, they had a form of kings by this time. They were different because they were separate ways in which, but they were still kings. They were not doing what David did. They were not repenting. They were actually going down the road farther in the wrong directions. And things were going bad. And still the people did not repent. So verse 11 says, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So, why was Sodom, what was the sin of Sodom? Go back to verse 1. In a time of affluence, they were not strengthening the poor by what, what, what did FDR do? He brought, and what did LBJ do? Their war on poverty decimated the black community because Cloward and Piven targeted the black community, the poor community. It's, it's, it's spreading over into the white community and even to the Asian community. Whatever that, that means, Asian, white. This should be the community of mankind. That's the only community there should be. But you've, you've divided yourselves. But, you know, a divided flock is good news for the wolves. So, that's another reason why you should sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and not be so divided. So, we see this breakdown of society in some places, overthrown some of you, showing you the examples of Sodom and Gomorrah. But by verse 12, he goes on, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. 
other words, the effect is coming. Now you know the cause. The cause is because you've rejected the ways of God and taken on the ways of Baal and the Nicolaitan, which are the same. You've taken on the ways of the Pharisees who forced the offerings of the people. You've taken on the ways of taking a bite out of one another in one purse. Let's all have one purse. Let's all have socialism. And lurk privately for the blood of our neighbor. You're not loving your neighbor. You're, you're sending him into your neighbor's house to force him to contribute. You're worried about socialism? All these people are saying, oh, all these kids want, believe in socialism? You've been doing socialism for a hundred years in America. Federal Reserve is socialism. Now, I'm not condemning these things. I'm just telling you what they are. And they have a cause and effect. They condemn themselves. If you go down this road, you're going to stink with all the stink that's down that road. You play with skunks, you smell like a skunk. So prepare to meet the cause and effect. You have to see the cause as you. You have to repent of what you've been doing. Think differently and do differently. And that's what Christ showed you what to do. Sit down the tens, hundreds, thousands, form a network that's not dependent upon Google and Facebook and Twitter, (laughs) but is a living network of people who love you as much as you love yourself. And the only way you can get into such a network is that you have to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And then you become a part of a living network. And the mountains of Samaria will tell you what the truth is. And they will not be like the palm worms. If you see one of your ministers turning into a palm worm, a locust, who's going to chew and chew and chew and eat up everything you give him, it's not living a simple life, but taking advantage of making you give to him so that he can live fat while you get skinny. That was one thing Yami Parks was pointing out. Everybody in... Everybody in North Korea was skinny. Except the leaders. (laughs) The leaders were fat. That's because they were palm worms. But Christ showed you a form of government where if you see your minister getting too fat and lazy, you don't have to give to him. You have the choice. The power, you're the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. You're not that in the world today. So verse 13, for lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. In other words, that's That cause and effect is built into creation. There's no escaping it. And even men, you know, pagans from Corinth could see it. If you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, if you have an appetite for benefits at the expense of others. That's another place where he talks about the same thing. Another translation of the, some of the same verse, verses, histories. That 
it, you're going to degenerate and once more become fit subjects of the first despot, tyrant, or ruler that comes along. And before you know it, he'll have you all wear masks and hiding in your home from a plague of flu that isn't any worse than almost any other flu we've ever had. And if you think that the pandemic was killing more people than the regular flu, it's because you've been listening to the wrong mountains of Samaria. Because the data does not bear that out as truth. So over in our side panel, we talk about what was the sin of Sodom. And we have a link over there to an article of the sin of Sodom, which was in a time of affluence. They did not strengthen the poor. And they did it because they created a system where the king could force the offerings of the people and redistribute that, which made his people more and more powerful. And the people of society in the community weaker and weaker. Because their communion was based on force. Same as the Pharisees. And it will make the word of God to none effect. And bring about all these plagues and disasters. Even to your utter destruction. And you know, I, I look at as many different commentaries on these different biblical texts. And I did the same with uh, this chapter 4. And I'll quote some of them that I think is of interest that kind of are tracking down the right road. And Henry's concise commentary, uh, dealing with uh, Amos 4, verses 1 through 5, says, What is got by extortion is commonly used to provide for the flesh and to fulfill the lusts thereof. What is got by oppression cannot be enjoyed with satisfaction. How miserable are those whose confidence in unscriptural observances only proves that they believe a lie. Let us see to it that our faith, hope, and worship are warranted by divine word. So worship is what? That's how you serve the gods you have chosen. That's that's what worshiping is. If you chose the God of heaven, the way in which you worship is through faith, hope, and charity. So he has the faith, hope, and then he, instead of putting charity there, he puts the word worship. Because that's how you serve one another, is those contributions. Well, should you send all your money into the Pope or send all your money to me? No, you should sit down in the tens, hundreds of thousands and share with a minister of your choice what you choose to share, and he will count that as paid in full, and he will do his best, supposedly, by you and all the other people in his service, which is all the people in his congregation, to care for them. But if he is to follow that same spirit of caring about others as much as he cares about himself, he has to, you and all the members of your congregation or all the members in that free assembly need to care about other assemblies as much as they care about their own assembly. Otherwise, it's not the kingdom of God. It's the isolated little groupies of Christ. And that's not what Christ was preaching. He was preaching the kingdom of God, which means all those different congregations. So, it will be up to you in your congregation, being the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, to make sure that your minister not only provides for the needy of 
your society, rightly dividing the bread that he has given from house to house in your congregation, but the whole of the Christian society. So he needs to be one ear to his congregation and one ear to all the other congregations through this network, which is why Christ commanded that you sit down in these tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because your minister has to be sitting in a congregation of ten ministers. And then they pick a minister, and he's sitting in a congregation of ten ministers, like himself. So together they have an ear through this common network to the whole of the kingdom of God. And that's what you're supposed to be seeking. That that takes a little bit of effort. But without that, you will not have the fruitfulness of Christ in your midst. You will not truly be worshiping Christ who is the anointed of that kingdom. He is the denominator. So over in the side panel, we also go through and have a lot of links and show you even links uh, uh, to what is written in Hosea 10.10 and concerning, you know, this, what they call a trained heifer. And so you can get into these things in greater and greater depth and we, we add to this all the time so that you can follow as you want. But, you know, reading all this stuff by itself that may be part of your journey. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm sure some of you read that don't get you any closer to Christ. But everything here on these pages is designed to bring the fruitfulness of righteousness as opposed to the bitter fruit of unrighteousness. And so we we lay this out so you can look into it in greater, greater depth. But really what you're looking into in greater, greater depth is your own soul, your own heart. Because that's where... In your own mind. When you say soul, that can also incorporate the idea of your mind. You have a lot of junk in your mind. You want to clean that out. So that God can write upon your heart. And write upon your mind. And so, what I've done is put this down in these uh, pages at preparingyou.com. And... Uh, We'll probably put some, well, we have lots of audios on these things and we have other pages at hisholychurch.org. But ultimately, it's what you let God write upon your heart and your mind that is going to make the difference to your salvation. And what I see a lot of modern ministers doing is they're trying to keep you from seeing anything outside of the little box that they're putting Christianity in. But then they're shaking their fists at the governments of the world which they have created, they have empowered, they have worshipped. Now, if you owe the tax, pay the tax. That's what Christ says. But he also adds to that, seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the kingdom of God does not depend upon the tribute of kings. It is the slothful that end up under tribute. That's what the Bible says. And you've been slothful in the ways of righteousness. You've been lacking in tov, in faith, in your sacrifices. 
God knows many of you have sacrificed a great deal, but most of it was to men who exercise authority. It's not to the men who exercise righteousness. So Amos is speaking of how the table becomes a snare and a trap. How it weakens the poor. The poor in what? The poor in spirit. And so did Hosea. For they teach the people are being taught false religion. Most of their religion is public religion. It's government welfare. So, turning around and turning away from that, and, you know, I really should do lots of shows and have some more guests on. I've been talking to people in government. You know, they're talking about, because of all this talk about taking away guns from Biden, they've been talking, and a lot of the states are uh, signing, uh, I should say counties rather than states, uh, are signing that these are, you know, uh, First and Second Amendment uh, sanctuaries that uh, that they're trying to get. And so what one of the persons who was talking about this, he said, as soon as you sign something like this is a sanctuary, Second Amendment sanctuary, nobody's going to do what they need to do. Until you create a community of people who care about your all your rights, all your life, See, you can't keep seeking the benefits provided by men who exercise authority by taking away from your neighbor and expect your rights to be secure. They will not be secure. You can fill out any paper you want, but they're not going to be secure. Because who is secure from you? From your wantonness, from your greed. Just admitting that you're back in the bondage of Egypt is a huge thing. Most people will not admit it. They say, no, we're free. This is the freest country in the world. And No, no, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. Because, I mean, if you're paying 20% of your labor to the government, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. I'm not condemning that. That's where you should be. Moses didn't come to condemn Egypt. He just said, let my people go. Now, Moses got to say that because he was actually the rightful heir to the throne of Egypt. So those people actually belong not to the Pharaoh, but to Moses. If you go back to Abraham, Abraham had left the city-state. He wasn't, he didn't go to another city. I mean, that's what we see Amos talking about. They go to another city. Well, that's what Terah did. Terah left Ur and went to Haran. But Abraham left Haran and did not go to a city-state. He set up these free will offering altars of clay and stone. And he showed other people how to do it. And when the kings came marching through, taking places like Sodom, and to trial by combat, they now owned these people. They were now enslaved by these people. Uh, that came through Abraham and the people who sat down at his kind of altars of government, which were not city-states, but free will systems. They came along and they were destroying everything. But the, the these altars, these people at, at these other altars were able to defeat them overnight. You're not at such altars. 
You're not operating by faith, hope, and charity. Your churches are not taking care of the welfare of the needy of your society. You have no daily ministration. Even if you have the right to bear arms, you will not have the courage to bear them in righteousness. You will not have God backing you up. Because you've abandoned the ways of God. And and God tells you this in Samuel 8. I will not hear you in that day. So we need to repent. We need to turn around. The The way is clear. The path is before us. Time is what we will be short of. Someone told me the other day that time has become a four-letter word. Because it's running out. You have just enough time. You have no time to waste. Yeah, the people do not abstain from their appetite for what is offered by rulers who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Their idols become a snare. Their images that they serve become a snare. Proverbs 22 through 23 repeat this warning. Such warnings are repeated throughout the Bible by all the prophets. David, Paul, and Peter repeated them. Now, I was just reading from the side panel there, at least a quick glance, there's like eight different uh, links to other articles explaining what were the warnings that the apostles gave you because you're not being told this by your ministers. They've given you a comfortable religion. They've tickled your ears. And so what you see coming about is as much their fault as it is your fault. Or as much your fault as it is their fault. Because you listen to them that you might believe a lie. Which is, if you go back up to that commentary. And the lie is, is that you cannot expect to be free while you lay a net before your neighbor. Because you have an appetite for the wages of unrighteousness. If you go that way, not only the fish hooks will be snaring you, but you will find yourself again returning to the mire. Does not the pig return to its mire? Or as uh, the Living Bible might say, the fat cow returned to the mire. Because <laughs> they, they, they're more in love with the wages of unrighteousness than righteousness itself. All the problems of society... And Israel have been because the people would not return to God. You have time to do that. Uh, join us on the network. Uh, if you're desiring to come to the Burning Bush Festival, get a hold of us and we'll tell you more about that. Until then, peace upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.